we are continuing our series called What's Up? As we are looking at some of the most important aspects of our life and how it is that we can grow in those areas. We, so far, we've looked at our relationship uh, between us and God, between us and our spouse. Last week, Andy talked about uh, our relationship with money. Um, so if you've missed any of those, I'd encourage you to hop online uh, to get caught up with us a little bit. And today, we're going to look at our relationship with our kids. Uh, I love being a dad. And, and just coincidentally, uh, today marks the 19th anniversary of the first time I became a dad. Today is Aaron's uh, 19th birthday. And it's really hard for me to, for me to believe. Uh, I heard somebody say a long time ago uh, that the days are long, but the years are short. The years just fly by. You blink a couple of times, and they're grown up, and he's off to college. And I remember, just like it was yesterday, bringing him home from the hospital, and I didn't know what in the world I was supposed to be doing. And there are times, even now, 19 years later, that I still feel like, I don't know that. I know what I'm doing right now. Uh, but parenting is, uh, is such a journey, and I am learning to live in the moment and in the day to enjoy this journey and this responsibility that God has given me to be a dad. And my kids will tell you that one of my favorite parts about being a dad is bad dad jokes. Love them. It's one of my favorite things in the world. So I brought a few of my favorites along to share with you guys this morning. So here's the first one. Do they allow loud laughing in Hawaii or just a low ha? <laughs> what do you call an ant that has been shunned by his colony? A socially dissed ant. One, one more. One, I know you guys are wanting more, so I'll give you one more. If a child refuses to sleep during nap time, are they guilty of resisting arrest? <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. And you're welcome. I, I feel like one of my callings in life is to make the world a better place one bad dad joke at a time. So thank you for allowing me to do that for you guys this morning. Uh, but parenting is one of the most humbling things that we can ever do, the hum, hum, most humbling experiences in the world. Because it seems like the, we are always faced with more questions than we have answers. And it's this constantly moving target. With each age and with each stage, there's all kinds of new questions and new challenges. And as soon as you, you think that you have a little bit of a grasp on what it means to be a parent of an infant, they turn into toddlers, and now you're back to square one again. And we have all of these questions all the time when they're newborns. We're just trying to survive mainly, but also trying to figure out their sleeping patterns. And then when they get into those toddler years, we're trying to figure out, what do I do with these terrible twos and these temper tantrums? And in elementary school, we're trying to manage a lot of times the, what their experiences look like and how much uh, schoolwork do we allow them to go after and how many uh, school activities and sports that do we put them in. And in the teenage years, are just as tough. The, the peer pressure starts... Uh, coming on them, and their decisions have bigger consequences. So we start worrying about how do we get them to make better decisions, and then the relational turmoil that they go through with their friends, and then also with us. It's just we're constantly faced. It just never gets any easier, and we do our best, but, but parenting is filled often with second-guessing ourselves and stumbling along the way and these doubts that fill our minds. And one of the few things that are more humbling than parenting is teaching on parenting, especially when you're still in the middle of it like us. Sarah and I have five kids ranging in age from, from 19 down to seven. Uh, a little fun fact about the Cobbs, we will have a kid at Winfield Elementary School for 18 straight years. I'm trying to start a grassroots campaign to at least get like a hallway named after us or something. I mean, we, we, we'll have kids there forever. Um, 
And I don't want you in any way to think that I am acing or that we are acing this thing called parenting. Like you, I am still learning and I am still making mistakes um, and trying to learn from those. Uh, preparing this week, I was reminded, just as kind of looking back at some of the principles that have shaped um, the ways in which Sarah and I uh, parent, there are some areas that are some weaknesses right now. There are some things that I have kind of let slide over the years that I need to, to, to go back to. And parenting is tough. It's a tough thing that God has called us to. But thankfully, God gives us some instruction on how to do that and some principles and some guidance for us to follow after. So what's the measure of success in parenting? We'll begin there. What, what's the end goal that we should be looking for or shooting for as we're, as, as we're parenting our kids? I think most people answer that question by saying, you know what, some form of we just want our kids to turn out all right. That's our goal. And we pick up the, the measuring, the yardstick of our culture and look and say, I, you know, we want our kids to be happy. We want them to be safe and comfortable. Uh, or maybe we, we look at, our, at their goals and say, we want them to, to reach their potential in either sports or school or work. Or we want them to find a hobby. We want them to have an activity that they can excel in. We want them to graduate from a good college, marry a good girl, live in a good neighborhood. And this idea of safety and comfort kind of bubble up to the, to the top. And all these things are great, but what if God has something more in mind? What, what if he wants something more than our kids just to turn out all right? We're reminded in scripture that children are a gift from God, that, that he has given them to us for a season, and he actually has a goal. He has a purpose that he wants us to accomplish in the time that we have them with us. So here's the bottom line if you're taking notes. That God's goal for parenting is to transfer a child's dependence away from the parent and onto God. From God's perspective, his goal is not that our kids are good citizens, or that they are comfortable, or that they are a successful adult. Our primary responsibility as parents is to intentionally and systematically teach our kids to depend on God, to trust God completely, that God's goal for us as parents is to raise the kinds of adults that can live a Proverbs 3 kind of life. Proverbs 3 says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. That's the measure of successful parenting in the kingdom. You see, when our kids are little, they depend on us for everything, and rightfully so. But over time, what we want to be able to do is to transfer that dependence away from us and onto God, to teach them over time that God is trustworthy and, and that they can trust him to guard and to guide their life. Above all else, the, the overarching goal that, that Sarah, have for our, Sarah and I have for our kids is that we want them to be able to hear the voice of God in their life and then to trust him enough to follow after wherever it is that he's leading. And for me, and maybe for you as well, I, I need to continually remind myself to make sure that that is the ultimate goal, that that is the target that I'm actually aiming for. Because that goes way beyond them turning out just all right. It goes beyond them getting a good education or, or where they live in life. I, I want them to know and to experience an authentic walk with God. And that means that I have some work to do that I need a plan, that I need to be proactive, not just reactive, that I need to be deliberate in transferring my kids' dependence and trust away from me 
to where it is solely relying on God to lead their lives. So how do we do that? Well, that's what I want to try to answer for us uh, this morning. And I, I think for those of you that um, may not have kids at home right now, these principles will apply if you have any kind of influence with kids, whether you are a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an, an uncle, that, that these are relational principles on how it is that we influence the next generation to be able to place their full trust in God. And as we've done uh, the past three weeks, we're going to structure this message around a series of questions that we can use to, to look at where we are right now and how we can grow in these areas in order to hand off our kids to trust God fully. So the first question is, am I fighting for their heart? If we want to succeed at, at raising adults, at raising kids who actually trust God, it begins with building the kind of relationship where we can have a, a lifetime of influence over, the, over their lives. The quality or the depth of my relationship with my kids will determine the, the weight of my influence in their life. So I want to fight for their heart. I want to make sure that they know that I love them, that I am for them, and that I am in their corner through life. And I think we take our cue of what this looks like from our Heavenly Father. There was a time when Jesus, as he was beginning his ministry, and he was getting baptized, and as he was coming out of the waters of baptism, he hears these words from God the Father. He says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And I love the directness of these words from God the Father to God the Son. And it's a reminder of the words that our kids need to hear from us. You are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. You don't have to worry about your identity. Kids need to hear that assurance from us from time to time, to, to hear us say to them, you know, if I could line up all the kids in the world, I would choose you, because you, you're mine, whom I love. They need to hear those words come out of our mouths, maybe, maybe especially from, from us dads. They need to hear it directly and simply, because in most, in most relationships, the, there's this conditional acceptance the, the, the coach likes them because they're athletic or, or they're good at their sport. The, the teacher likes them because they do well in class. But we parents have this unique opportunity to reassure them that they are loved unconditionally, even in the midst of disappointment, even in the midst of, of failure or stumbling in some way, that they need to hear from us, you are loved no matter what. And with you, I am well pleased. Kids need to hear that we're proud of them. We, we need to be actively looking and notice and praise those things that they are doing well in or, or that they are attempting to do well in and say, I'm proud of you. Children of all ages need to hear that. I, I think there are times in my life, I'm 45 years old, and I still want to hear that from my parents. Our kids need to hear how much we love them. Our, our sons need to hear the words come out of their dads. I think there are a lot of men who are walking through life in their 20s and 30s and 40s with baggage because they never heard these words from their dad. And, and even more importantly, for our daughters. Because if they don't hear those words of affirmation and those words of affection from us as dads, they'll go chasing after hearing that from, from, other, from other voices. 
Kids, kids need to hear these things, but even more than that, they, they need our time. I, I think kids actually spell love, T-I-M-E, that what we need is to be able to spend quality, unstructured time. There's no shortcut to, to actually building the kind of relationship that has a lifetime of influence. It requires this unstructured quantity of time with them. So make sure that, that you are serious about having fun as a family. Uh, you know, my influence with my kids begins with me wrestling with them on the ground. It's when I go outside and I shoot basketball with them. That's how we start building these relationships with them. It's taking an interest in what they're interested in. It's playing board games as a family. It's getting around the dinner table and just laughing together. And listen, I, I do not bat a thousand on this. There are definitely evenings when I come home and I'm just wore out and I do not want to play another round of uno with the kids but when i start recognizing that it's with every shared laugh it's with every shared experience that i am i'm fighting for their heart and i'm building this opportunity to have a lifetime of influence in their life one of the goals that that we have uh, that sarah and i often talk about is that we want to have healthy relationships with our adult children we, we kind of like them as people, and we would love to be able to continue to have a voice and an influence in their life long after they leave our house. We, we want to create the kind of relationship with our kids that we actually beat out the future in-laws, that, that when they have a choice of where to go, that they choose to come back to our place, or they allow us to, to, to do a, a Cousin Eddie and pull our RV into their park, in, into their driveway for a couple of months. So the first question is, am I fighting for their heart? Am I fighting for their heart so that I can have a lifetime of influence? The second is, am I training their heart through discipline? Uh, part of what we are called to do as parents is to, to lovingly enforce uh, the guardrails, the, the boundaries that God has established in Scripture. And it's, it's not intuitive, and, and your kids probably would not admit it, uh, but boundaries and limits are actually comforting for kids. It gives them some security to know that, that we love them enough not to let them do whatever they want to do. Because they, I think deep down they know that if I got to do whatever I wanted to, I would make a train wreck of my life. So it's actually helpful for them. It's healthy for them and securing for them if we love them enough to secure them with some boundaries. And the reason that we set limits is because Scripture talks of this streak of, of self-centeredness in every one of us that we're all born with. The theological term for that is the word depravity. It's this pull to do things that are rebellious or contrary to what God says is good or right, and we all have it. And it doesn't take long, does it, to, to see even in that little bundle of joy that you bring home that they have that same self-centered streak in them. I remember when one of ours was probably maybe three years old, and they wanted to come out and help me wash the car. So I would already put the soap on it, and I was telling them, okay, you have one rule. All you, all you can do, right, hear what I'm saying, all you do is to spray off the tires. You got it? Yes, Daddy, I understand. That's all I'm going to spray off the tires. But when he picked up the water hose, it was like he got this, uh, he, he had this power that coursed through his veins. And all of a sudden, he just turns and just squirts me, and I'm like, Dude, I told you to do one thing. What happened? He's like, I don't know, Dad. Depravity. That, that's what it is that we have to take out of them. Uh, Proverbs reminds us that, that folly or foolishness, it's bound up in the heart of every child, but discipline will drive it away. But that's hard, isn't it? I mean, they, 
Discipline takes hard work, and, and there are times when we just don't have the energy to want to do that. And it's sometimes easier to, to ignore it or to avoid some kind of conflict in the house, and you would rather just avoid it rather than you know, tempers start flaring at the end of the day. But part of the way that we shape and that we influence our kids to trust in God is to gently but deliberately redirect their lives toward what God says is right. The author of Hebrews says it this way. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The purpose of discipline is training. It is to get them to a place where they can make wise, God-honoring decisions on their own so that they can begin to receive this harvest, this blessing of peace and righteousness in their life. And just like any other kind of training, it takes time. That there's some deliberate effort. There is some teaching involved um, that it, while they're making those mistakes so that they can learn from them. And, and we should expect them to have failure in their life. We should expect them to make mistakes. That's why they're still in our house. But we need to understand that discipline from a place of anger or a place of frustration it's wrong, and it doesn't accomplish what God intends for us to do during, um, during the discipline, nor do we discipline from a place of authority or control. It's not just because I said so. That, that's that's short-sighted. The end goal of discipline is understanding. It's not just compliance. I, I don't want my kids to just live by a list of rules. What I need to be able to do through discipline is train them to read scripture, to learn to apply what scripture says, to think through possible consequences of the decisions that they're making so that they can make wise and God-honoring decisions after they leave our house. One day they will leave us. And part of our responsibility is to train them to not lean on their own understanding, but instead to submit their lives to God, one wise decision at a time. And, and I would add that, that, um, that discipline is not just for outward behavior. Oftentimes we think of discipline as just an outward behavior. But scripture reminds us that it is out of the overflow of our hearts that we do what we do. So part of what we need to be able to do as, as parents is to train them to monitor what's going on inside of their hearts and, and to teach them how to handle frustrations and, and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness before it takes root in their lives and starts and they start acting out on that. So, first question, do I have an end goal for the relationship? Secondly, do I have an end goal for the discipline that we need to do in order to train them to make wise decisions? And then third, is am I modeling for them an authentic relationship with God? No one has more potential to shape how your kid sees God than you do. They through your unstructured time and through your structured time, you have the most influence in their life to determine how they will see God. Our home should be uh, the primary place, the laboratory where, where they actually see our faith lived out in the everyday, not just on Sunday. And, and modeling is so much more than teaching. It, it's actually demonstrating a changed life. It's demonstrating faith in action so that they can see how that actually look. Someone once said that you, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. I love the confidence that, that Paul displayed in, in, 
in the letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That, that's what it looks like to model a faith in front of someone. I, I would challenge you to, to put this verse on your mirror and, and to make it a truth, make it a target for your life that you want to live in such a way that if your kids followed your example, if they followed how you live out your faith, that they would grow closer to God in their walk. One of the most effective ways that we transfer our kids' faith and dependence and trust onto God is to show them what that really looks like in our lives, that, that, to show them that it actually is possible to have a living relationship with a living God. So when blessings come into our lives, they see us thanking God for that blessing, that it wasn't just luck, it wasn't our hard work that led to that, it was actually God's blessing in our life. And equally important, when life is hard, it may be you're filled with doubts. It, I think it's good and healthy for them to say, I know that God is faithful, but he seems distant to me right now. That they can actually hear you wrestling with God at times. That you share with them what, what God is teaching in your quiet times. That, that you make coming to, to church a habit, a, a priority for you to learn and to worship with God's people together. And our job isn't to model a, a perfect or a, a theoretical faith. I think it's healthy for them to see God using and growing your imperfect faith, that they see you growing over a period of time, that, that we show them that, that Scripture is the authority in our lives when, when we line up our lives with what Scripture says and we allow it to correct us, that, that it's good for them to, have, to, to see you have to ask for forgiveness when you blow it as a parent or a friend or, or they, they see you wrestling with a decision and trying to figure out what is God's will for this decision right here it's good for them to actually see that kind of wrestling in front of them and not let it happen just behind the curtains they will love God to the extent that you love God and part of what we need to do as parents is to give them a front row seat to what a growing authentic relationship with God looks like so we fight for their hearts we train them through discipline. We model for them what real faith looks like in the everyday. And then the fourth thing we do is, am I inviting others to have influence in their faith journey? As much as parents need to be, and they are, we are, the, the primary voice in, in a child's life, we need to understand that we can't be and we shouldn't be the only voice in their life. I love how Proverbs says, he says, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. So we need to be intentional about surrounding our kids with the right voices, that we need to be intentional about surrounding our kids with many advisors who are saying the same thing that we are, the right kind of people who can influence the direction of their lives. Chances are, as you look back on your life, there are probably a handful of people that, that showed up at just the right time uh, that, that said the right thing at the right time, and they had a significant impact on the direction of your life. For me, it was a guy named George Webb. You've probably heard me talk about George over the years. Um, George was a 40-year-old uh, volunteer at our church who was involved in, in our uh, youth group, and he saw some things in me that I didn't see in myself. And, and he challenged my faith and modeled for me what faith in action looks like. 
and he changed the trajectory of, of my life. It's because of him in a lot of ways that I'm up here now. That he, Even after I graduated from college, he would call and check in on me and keep challenging me to take those next steps of faith. That's the power of significant relationships. And our responsibility as parents is to invite as many other voices in there that can say the same thing that we are doing to have that kind of impact in the lives of our kids. This gets really important, almost crucial during their teenage years, but we have to start early in their life if we want those other voices, those other trusted voices to be there during those teenage years. Sarah and I have placed a, a big priority on this in our kids, and it's deeply impacted um, how they see faith in another set of, of friends that they can go to in, in hardship through uh, guitar lessons or through conversations watching uh, Mountaineer ba basketball games or taking them out to dinner or painting or crafting together. There was this opportunity that these adults had and they took to forge deep relationships with our kids and it allowed us to have that other encouraging voice um, in their life. And over time, we've intentionally expanded that net of people um, who, who can be there to listen or to give advice and to point them to Scripture. And especially, again, during those teenage years when, when they have a tough decision or life is hard and they don't want to talk to mom or dad, then we can confidently say, okay, so talk to Brad, talk to Jason, talk to Greg, talk to Patty or Casey or Carly. And they had these people in their corner and we knew who they were, and we knew the ways that they could influence our kids and say the same thing that we would say, but they'd listen to them when they didn't want to listen to us. And as a parent, that is a huge relief to know that there are so many others that are out there that love our kids the way that we love our kids and, and that want to see their faith get transferred to God, and they have this kind of influence to point them to a growing relationship with God. There is safety in having many advisors. Um, as a church, we have made a commitment to make this as easy as possible for parents. I, our uh, Ridge kids and our Wired and Fuse, they, they are centered around having a, a small group experience and having community in their lives. We structure everything around this so that any given Sunday, they are in a small group with friends that are running in the same direction, and there is a trusted adult that's sitting there that's pointing them to who Jesus is. And they are saying the same thing that parents are trying to say at home. Uh, week in and week out, our Ridge Kids small group leaders, they are investing in that next generation of, of followers. They are loving them. They are praying for them. They are teaching them the ways of God. And they are available and listening. And they are having the impact that you guys want them to have. They, they're another voice in your child's life. And our Wired and Fuse leaders, are they're faithfully showing up. They're leaning in. They're earning the right to have an influence in the life of a teenager every game of ping pong, on every game of non-square in the air. And we're seeing kids come to faith as a result of that. We're seeing kids get baptized because it's because there are some trusted adults that are earning the right to be able to influence them in the direction of Jesus. So parents, I, I would invite you to, to take advantage of these relationships. Make sure that you are casting a, a wide net in order to attract and to bring other voices, other advisors into your kid's life. And then I, I would invite all of us to consider what it means to be one of those voices for the next generation. 
uh, to, to be a, another voice of influence for another family and to make an investment of your time to reach that next generation of believers. There are opportunities in Ridge Kids and in middle school and high school for you to be able to do that. We have, we have young kids who need another voice. We have teenagers who need that other voice. We have parents who are trying to make their way through life that need another voice to help them point their kids towards Jesus. It is a tough deal to raise kids. It's pressure packed. As we begin to think about the responsibility that God has given us, he's given us these, these gifts of kids for a season, and he says, I want you to do something with that. I have a clear purpose that I want you to be able to do at the end of your kid's time with you. Have you effectively transferred their dependence away from you and fully onto God? And sometimes that, that can almost cripple us. It can almost paralyze us to think that that is such a huge responsibility. But God says, I'm not going to leave you to your own devices to figure it out. I want to give you some guidance along the way. So ask yourself these questions. Am I fighting for their heart? Do I have an end in mind of saying, I, I need to be a voice of influence in their life, but that comes from a strong quality relationship? Am I training their heart through discipline? That, that it's not just punishment, that I'm not just trying to change behavior, but I'm actually trying to train them to be able to make wise, God-honoring decisions after they leave the home. Am I modeling for them an authentic relationship with God? Do, do they see the impact that my faith has on my life? Do I give them a front row seat to what that looks like? And it's not just private disciplines, but they actually see those things kind of lived out in front of them. And am I inviting others to have influence in their faith as well? Who else can I invite to be around my kids to influence them in the direction of Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, we are, we are thankful um, for the gift of kids, for the joy that it brings. But uh, God, if we're honest, we also recognize how hard parenting really is. Um, but God, we are thankful for the gift of, of your scripture that gives principles for us. That as we apply them, that we actually can transfer and to raise up another generation that sees your faithfulness, that submits their life to you and can experience that harvest of blessing and joy and righteousness of a life that's lived chasing after you. God, we thank you for the gift of the church that allows for um, us to invite other voices into our kids. But God, help us to, to stay focused as parents and as a church on what it is that you've called us to, to raise up the kinds of adults, for us to, to even model that, that we submit all of our ways to you so that you can lead us. God, give us the grace, uh, the courage to look in the mirror and to see where things might need to be changed uh, and the power to, to follow through with that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.